Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 2, Episode 5. Thanks for joining us this time around. This is part 3 of a series on what leaders actually do. Yeah, I have to grovel a bit. I said that this episode would be about setting expectations. Well, it's not. It became clear that I needed to do, do a little bit of reshuffling on my planning document. So this week, something you didn't expect. The field of leadership is brimful of the idea that leadership is mostly about being the sort of person worth following. It's about character and who we are. The thing is... There is a core underlying assumption in the field of leadership scholarship that a leader will have some deep technical skills in a particular area that will provide the context for leadership. See, without that, leadership development becomes pretty shallow and pompous. Now, I admit, I have a little bit of geezer cynicism about this, but if your goal is to be a leader, you'd better be able to answer the question, in what? There's an old principle that applies here. You can't lead anyone where you yourself have never been or are unwilling to go. You have to be willing to lead from the front, not the rear. Now, you can disagree with me, but I tend to think that managers push and leaders pull. That means that you're going to have to have some skill set that will make you followable. Now, the reason for that will become evident as we get talking about the content on setting direction and casting a vision. So when we think about vision casting and setting a direction for an organization, there are three questions that we need to answer as part of the process. For those of you keeping score, this is a simplified version of a strategic model that I use in my teaching. I've chosen to focus on three key questions. Where are we going? Why are we going there? And how do we get there? Now, these are pretty common. I can't cite a source for them. These are things that those of us in in the leadership world talk about pretty frequently. So, I'm sorry. I'm chalking it up to common knowledge. (laughs) There may actually be a good citation for this out there. But I couldn't actually figure out who deserved the credit. So, there you go. So first, where are we going? One of my best friends, a guy I've known since middle school, used to have a saying, I'm so broke I can't even pay attention. Well, a couple of episodes back, I talked about the need for leaders to keep their ears open and learn to pay attention. This is where we connect back, and I show you why that's important from a strategic perspective. See, as a leader, your answer to the question, where are we going, is going to be based on your, on your knowledge of your industry, your specific local circumstances, and so on. Exactly the kind of things that we discussed a couple of episodes back. You have to know your context. Now, about 15 years ago, there was a lot of talk about core competencies and basing your strategic initiatives on that. Uh, you may not have noticed, but that has largely faded away. The reason is simple. The world changes too quickly for an organization to expect an unchanging set of core competencies to remain relevant. Besides, you can develop new core competencies, sometimes better than you can preserve the old ones. Now, you'll still need to know what your organization can do well and what it has to offer, but it's equally important to know what's going on outside. 
One of my favorite old stories about this is about the minivan. Yes, love them or hate them, they mark a key part of the development cycle for a lot of families. People mock them. But a well-known do-it-yourself home maintenance magazine recently pointed out that full sheets of plywood or sheetrock will lay flat in the back when the seats are removed or folded out of the way. The perfect home hacker vehicle. Okay, okay, back on track. Most people think it was Chrysler that invented the minivan. In fact, it was an engineer from General Motors who'd been toying with ideas for a new kind of vehicle. General Motors was interested, but in all of their marketing efforts, uh, they found out that there's really no market for such a thing. They asked focus groups, they'd done surveys, and they had found nothing. Well, the idea was eventually shopped around Detroit, and eventually Chrysler grabbed onto it and created an entirely new market segment. See, GM couldn't find that market because it looked for it in its current markets. But the market for the minivan was actually scattered across a bunch of different markets, and it was not recognizable as a market per se. It was, it was Chrysler that figured that out, and they dominated that market from the very beginning. Now, if you start with the answers that you already know, you'll never do a great job with the where are we going question. You'll get someplace, but it won't be that innovative place that you want to get to. You need to pay attention to markets that you may not have seen before. Well, there are other factors, though. Think about the changes going on in your industry, and how can you tap into that? What are your competitors doing? How are you going to respond to the issues that they're raising? Notice that I didn't say, do what they're doing. You're going to need to know what they're doing and how that impacts your business. And that's true whether you are a for-profit, a non-profit, or even a church. Think about what's important to your business, your organization. And I would encourage you to go back to Season 1 and listen to the values episodes. Uh, The things that are of value in your organizations are the things that must drive where you're going. Look down the track, see what's happening, and where your opportunities might be. The stuff that you're paying attention to and hearing from colleagues. Well, how might that shape the future of your organization? Those where-do-we-go-from-here questions are notoriously difficult to answer simply because we can't always know how things are going to play out. Setting a vision and direction really amounts to taking hold of an optimistic view of the future and choosing to be agents of change toward that future. Now, somewhere around episodes 13 and 14 of season 2, so a few weeks away, we'll be looking at specific ways to think about the future, but that's beyond the scope of what I'm talking about here. Setting a strategic direction is not about crafting a catchy mission statement. That can be important, but too often these initiatives start and stop right there. We have a mission statement. Now, go and make it so. Setting a future direction requires hard, collaborative work. It involves questions of finance, best practice, market pressures, sustainability. And when I say sustainability, I do not mean it in the current trendy context, but simply, can the organization sustain itself going forward in the midst of change? Now, I suppose just survive is a strategic plan of sorts, but I want you to think bigger than that. Think about what it will take to thrive over the next several years. Along with that, you need to communicate this. Why are we going there? 
There are all sorts of books and resources out there that address this one. Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, is just one of them. It's great to have a vision. It's great to have a strategy. But really, so what? If you can't define why your strategic direction is important, uh, you're not there yet. You need to explain why it matters. And if you can't do that, it's not going to matter. This is one of the great challenges that leaders face, expressing visions and goals so that people will want to pursue them. It's not easy to create a compelling vision for the future, and even more difficult to do so in a way that makes people want to take action and get involved. There are a couple of examples of this in the Bible. When Moses was providing instructions for building the tabernacle, which was kind of a portable worship space, he actually had to tell the people to stop giving. They had enough. Now, the tabernacle was a big vision, and nothing like it had ever been built. And the people stepped up, took action, and participated. Church leaders will tell you it's much easier to get people to commit to a building project than it is to get them to commit to paying off debt. The reason is simple. The building project is tangible. It's easy to visualize, and the benefits are easy to grasp. If your mission doesn't have a tangible aspect to it, then you have your work cut out for you. You need to connect the vision to the things that people care about. Connect it to their values. And that means you have to know their values and understand how to engage them in your view of what the future could be. It has to be appealing. It has to align with shared values. It has to be beneficial. It has to be wise and well-informed. This is a big part of developing your own abilities as a leader, a leader that people will follow. If you can't explain the why and connect it with what matters, you're not likely to be able to get things moving in that direction. So I have to talk for a moment about what I call social gravity. Now that's my word for it, but let me share what I mean. It's not easy to get a large group of people moving in the, in the same direction. Let social gravity work for you. Start with a few people, and if possible, convince two different sorts. The outspoken extroverts and the grumpy ones. Because if you win over an extrovert, they will be the one to talk up the new plan and direction. And when you win over a grumpy one, people will tend to pay attention because life's serial. There was an old life serial ad that everybody over a certain age can recite from memory. What's this? It's life cereal. It's supposed to be good for you. Well, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not either. Hey, let's get Mikey. He won't eat it. He hates everything. Wait, he likes it. Hey, Mikey. Mikey's reputation for hating everything worked to the advantage of the ad campaign. Now, I can imagine a similar process playing out in a leadership setting. What's this? It's the new vision statement and strategic direction. It's supposed to be good for us. Well, I'm not going to work on it. Neither am I. Hey, let's get Murray. He hates everything. What? He likes it. He's optimizing his team's functionality toward new outcomes. Hey, Murray. Yeah, I can totally see that happening. In all seriousness, the people you need to convince first are the ones that people listen to, either for their enthusiasm or for their resistance. Bringing them on board first will strengthen your credibility. See, that's the power of social gravity. Committed people attract more committed people. And along the way, you will reach what Malcolm Gladwell called the tipping point, where everyone wants to be involved. That actually brings us to the third question. How do we get there? 
Those of you who know me well know that I often hammer on this idea of meaningful work. Your ability to connect your direction to actual work done depends on your ability to help people understand how we get there. This is not about telling them what to do. It's about helping them understand what they have to contribute and why it matters. That's two pieces, you know. First, the rational mind, and second, the emotional connection. For those of you who are into that developmental theory stuff, I would add that uh, getting those right will result in measurable work output. Years ago, I took over leadership in an organization that was in deep trouble. The previous leader had retired, but hadn't really told anyone. So for the last two years of his working career, he pretty much did nothing. Now, mind you, I'm diagnosing this from the perspective of the guy who had to come in and pick up the pieces. People were working, but their work wasn't coordinated and it wasn't productive. It was as though they all knew they had to paddle the canoe, but they were working against one another, facing different directions, fighting over who was going to steer, and generally contentious about everything. My job was to do exactly what we have talked about here. Set a direction, convince them of why it matters, and help everyone to know how they could contribute. And it worked. Together we turned that department from the organizational laughingstock to a respected contributor. That was a huge turnaround. I thought about not telling you this story, but I think I will because it's kind of history now and I feel like I can say I'd tell you this. The way that I knew that our efforts had created a lasting change was the day that uh, we heard a member of senior leadership referring to us as just a drain on resources. Well, we had internal and external customers, but we were not a direct source of revenue. So I got our team together, explained the situation, provided a suggestion. Uh, We were all a little bit terrified, but they gave me the go-ahead to move forward. I proposed to senior leadership that they spin us off as a separate entity and commit to doing business with us for two years. In that time, we'd build up our own practice and be fully self-sustaining. If they chose to continue to do business with us at that point, that was up to them. But we didn't want to be a drain on resources to the company, and we were willing to step up to ensure that we were not. They considered our proposal, and after a few days, they rejected it. Most of the team uh, came out of that year with a raise, and none of us ever heard the phrase drain on resources ever again, or anything remotely like that. Now mind you, it could have gone either way, but we were prepared for whatever happened, and there would have been benefits either way. Now I tell you that story to show the value of the how do we get there conversations. By the time this happened, I had developed the trust and credibility that the people I was serving with were willing to follow me into uncertainty. I don't tell you that to sound self-serving. I worked with a fantastic team of people, and I had confidence that either way, they would be able to make the kind of commitment and contribution necessary for us to continue to thrive together. And you know what? That was the case. Three questions to set a direction. All right. Good to have you with us. We are developing a growing international audience, and I'm really grateful for that. So keep pointing your friends and colleagues our direction. Give us a like, leave us a comment, and next time we'll look at more leadership skills that will set your work apart. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. 
All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. Limited opportunities are available for supporting sponsorships. Contact information is available on our show page. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye.